0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Iway with Jamila Jamil. I hope you're well, and if you aren't well, You're about to be fucking well, because I've got a great guest on today's podcast. If you are a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, then you are in for a motherfucking treat, because today's guest is Bob the Drag Queen, a winner of RuPaul's Drag Race, as well as just one of the funniest, most inspiring, interesting and charismatic people on the whole of the internet maybe in the whole of the world. Uh, I was able to discuss so many different things with Bob. We discussed his unique childhood where his mother owned a drag bar and would take him there and get him to work there when she couldn't find a babysitter. We, uh, we had an in-depth discussion about his experience in a polyamorous relationship in such an unstigmatized, open, informative, loving way. We discussed his activism in the black trans community and how we can be better allies. And unexpectedly, we spent far too long discussing my hair. I think Bob didn't like my hair very much. I think maybe Bob doesn't like my hair very much. And we spent ages talking about my fringe. Um, he was very, very sweet and charming and kept on insisting that he did. But I feel like there was shade. I would like to know what you think at the end of this episode. You can You can DM me about it, but it was so funny and I didn't think it was going to come up and i really enjoyed the interaction Uh, and i think you will too (laughs) i'm so stupid um but i love bob bob is fucking great bob is so smart we should all be more like bob enjoy this episode i can't wait to hear what you have to say this is bob the drag queen Bloody hell i've peaked i've peaked everyone i've only gone gotten, gotten bob the drag queen
2: on my podcast
1: hello bob how are
2: you i'm great how are you today
1: i'm good i'm such a big fan of yours i can't believe you're here
2: well saying I'm, I'm a really big fan of yours uh you know uh, i'm quite familiar with a lot of your work and particularly um legendary i'm a huge fan of the show
1: Ah, oh, thank you. Thank you. It's uh, one of my favourite parts of my life, that show. And I've uh, I've just learned so much while being there about so many different parts of the ballroom community that I may never have been privy to otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so oh, yeah. I love that show. It's um, really exciting. I, uh, I have so many things I want to talk to you about because you've lived such an interesting life. But I think I want to start fairly traditionally with your childhood. Um, would you talk to me about what that was like growing up in, uh, I believe it was Georgia you grew up in. And you, uh, you grew up with a mother who I believe was out at the time as queer and she ran a drag bar. Is that correct? Like a drag, a a drag club.
2: Yeah. So it was called sensation. So my my mom's like, my mom, my mom was a queer lady, um, but also has an interesting relationship with queerness and, and religion And she's also one of my best friends who I talk to almost every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, my my mom used to own a queer bar in Columbus, Georgia with a group of lesbians called Sensations. And... (laughs) And I I had worked the club before, but never inside. So I never saw queens in the club. I, I one time my mom couldn't get a babysitter, so I collected money at the door, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like outside the door of the. But also, I was kind of like a large kid, and I was kind of sitting in the dark. And all you saw was like my hand, you know, reaching out to take money um, at this club when my mom couldn't get a babysitter. It was probably illegal, but I think that the, the <laughs> statute of limitations has worn off, and she can't be caught now.
1: Okay, good. Um, And one of my favorite things that, you know, we discussed and I've also learned from researching you intensely is the fact that, you know, when I first read about your mother's drag club, I was like, oh, well, that's, that's where they decided to become a drag queen. But I was in fact wrong because it wasn't until like 2009, which is a fair bit later that you found it on your own. So do you feel like you had quite a, quite an accepting upbringing, not just within your own household, but generally?
2: no. I certainly face some discrimination. around, I mean, you know, it's really interesting how, uh, when you're queer growing up, everyone knows you're queer before you found the words for yourself and they will tell you. Like everyone around you is like gay anyway. Um, like you, you don't have, you don't have a, a moment to reckon with it within yourself because the folks around you will tell you. And I went to schools in inner city in, Al- in Atlanta Atlanta. And it was, I mean, not inner city. So it's, okay, so Atlanta's interesting because Atlanta is made up of almost all suburbs. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, from, I'm from Clayton County, which is not one of the nicer suburbs. Let's put it that way. So even though it's not technically in the city of Atlanta, it is what someone would consider an inner city school because it's black people. Um, and going to an all black, like high school, it was not <laughs> like particularly easy being uh, queer. And I wasn't even out.
1: Was, was the, because I know your mother had a kind of delicate relationship with her own sexuality. I think I I read somewhere that, that she had, uh, she had felt at one point that perhaps queerness didn't agree with her, her religion. religion. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I wondered if that's what impacted the fact that you weren't out
2: or you just didn't know. No, uh, because... Even though my mom got really religious at one point she was my mom was never a uh condemning type of of, of Christian mm. um my mom was I mean m- my mom took me to my first pride parade mm-hmm. like my that. mom my mom took me my mom comes to all my drag shows um I think it was just about my, my her own path with herself and I think that I, I I came out I guess young for me I mean I know that a lot of it kids these days, that sound like an old fogey kid,
0: you
2: know, come out really young. And for me coming out when I was, I, I came out right after I graduated high school, like literally the day of my graduation, after the graduation, I came out to my mom um, when I was like 17 or, or 18.
1: Wow. Okay, Yeah. I know what you mean. That feels like, but I just want to clarify, sorry, regarding your mom. So, so she was openly out and then had told you that she was no longer she'd kind of like renounced well, she, her she didn't
2: really yes. announce it to me she just like started dating guys mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, <fair>. <laughs> <laughs> like she didn't so sit did you me ever down. have that
1: conversation and just be like what's going on now or I mean, like kinda. how did you learn about the how did you learn about her relationship with her sexuality uh to do with like to do with her spirituality to do with her religion?
2: So I've never actually gone deep into this this is an exclusive so oh. <laughs> my mom was dating guys when I was younger, and then she came out to me and my brother as as gay. When I was, I think, like in maybe fifth grade. So from fifth until like tenth grade, my mom was a lesbian. That's what she's. That's how she identified as gay. And then, like, she just started dating guy. Like all of a sudden, like she, uh, th- this this guy showed up. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, you're dating a guy. And then she just mentioned that she, um, didn't feel, uh, she felt that her salvation was important. And now I, now my mom doesn't date anymore at all. Um, you know, she always said that she doesn't have time to date because she's raising her grandkids and she's, um, very busy with all that. Um, and my mother is, well, she'll be, I mean, she's not, my mom's pretty young actually. My mom's 50, she'll be 59 in October. Mm-hmm. Um, So she she, now she's just kind of like, whatever, (laughs) like I I, and I think that because I grew up with a mom who isn't so rigid in with these terms, I was able to find that with myself, too. Mm
1: -hmm. And so at 17, did you come out as gay? Because I know that currently, like now you identify as pansexual. Yeah. Um, How did you how did you identify back then?
2: I I told my mom that I was bi and at the time that felt true to me. And then I came out later as gay. And at the time that felt true. And, um, and now I identify as pansexual and, you know, in this moment that also feels true to me. I've definitely, uh, done, I've definitely had a full, you know, um, journey in in with my, um, with my queer identity.
1: And what was your experience like coming out as in like, how was that received? Um, what did it feel mom, like afterwards?
2: My, I mean, my mom was very open about it, and she didn't feel strange, and she didn't ma- she didn't make me feel strange. She just told me that she loved me, and my, my mom's a great mom. Like she she really nails it every single time. I mean, you you came out uh, pretty as a queer pretty late late. Like when did you?
1: Well, I mean, I came out publicly very late. I came out privately earlier than that, but publicly, I hadn't come out because. I thought everyone was going to think all this time because, you know, I've been involved in advocacy for such a long time and especially because of the way I get presented in media and the way I get centered in every fucking story, I had never told anyone about my sexuality because it felt like so many people were coming out and, and I didn't want to be accused of jumping on a trend and knowing yeah. how painful it would be to be accused of that, knowing yeah. how painful coming from a South Asian background mm-hmm. being queer was. And so I I'd always avoided just the gaslighting that I feared would happen, that happened way worse in the end than I thought it would. Because oh. then when I finally came out, everyone was like liar. Uh and so there was just I don't know. I mean, I I I survived it. It was very painful. Um when I everyone can imagine it sounds so horrible. To. Yeah, and it was truly like it felt like the whole world did it when I wrote that little note. Um and took all my words as far out of like just out of context as possible. Um, it was just so, it was a very, yeah, it was a very odd time. So I did not personally have a great safe environment to do that in. Mm-hmm. But privately I was, I was out years before that.
2: Do you feel that that's a thing that happens a lot in like um, in South Asian culture or is it, or is it the celebrity culture? Cause I know like L- Lily Singh uh, came out as um, queer as well and I mean, me and Lily are like friends—not um, mm-hmm. close, close friends—but I've, I've done her show, and we 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 cross and passing a lot. But do you, do you feel like it was like a celebrity thing, or I mean, also because our intersectionality is so woven and they cannot be undone? It's not—you can never say it's because of my blackness or because of my celebrity or because of my being South Asian. It's like it's—it's it's all a factor.
1: But wait, is what are you asking? Is is to do with my?
2: Like do you, I'm wondering if like you having a hard experience with that was it like tied to being South Asian or being famous or is it just that it's all woven together?
1: No, it's all woven together. I think mostly it's the fact that I'm. I don't know. I think I think it's partially celebrity and. And the fact that so many people do falsely capitalize off of queer culture. You know, we, you yeah. know, we talk about it every pride, the way that companies jump on and suddenly stick a rainbow in their sandwich, you know. And so I do think that I understand where that suspicion comes from. But then there is an extra level of suspicion of, and all, there's always an extra, extra suspicion of women, in particular women of color. But uh, I don't know if it's down to being South Asian. I know that it felt hard for me because I was South Asian and I don't have any openly out members in my entire family. And you know that South Asian families are fucking huge. They are huge. I've heard. I have like a hundred cousins. And so, and many, many uncles, like my dad is one of nine. So to not have anyone in my family or in like our neighborhood or anyone that we know to be out for the first, like 20 years of my life made me feel like, wow, I really, really don't want to be the first.
2: (laughs) Are you also, I mean, I, 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 are you, are you, I mean, I'm assuming you're also the most famous person in your family too.
1: Um, uh, the, yeah, I probably, I'm the only one who's got a public career. Yeah. I guess that's how I'd put it. So yeah, it was all, it was a fucking clusterfuck, Bob, if I'm honest. Yeah. It was all a well, fucking clusterfuck, but it's all right. And now I'm glad it's out there so I can just breathe and get on with it. And, and also I think what was great about all of that last year is that now I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks or believes or whether anyone likes me or understands me. Now that it's, I've gone through the fire, I've come out immensely free and now I'm just like, yeah. Think I'm lying? That's fine. I don't. I don't know you. You don't know me. You're like, I can't change your mind, and I'm definitely not going to waste energy trying to.
2: Yeah, there's a thing that uh, you know, that people really want women to prove that they're queer. It's really strange. Like, like if you're not, if you're not like raw dogging a woman on stage <laughs> at the pride parade, they're like, you're not queer. Prove it. I know. In, and then, yeah, it, it, that is, it is that is a very interesting um, moment. Did you see? I don't even know what it meant, and I don't want to read too much into it. But I don't know if you saw that last night at the BT Awards, Queen Latifah received the um, Lifetime Achievement Award, mm-hmm. and at the very end of the end of her speech, she just she said "Happy Pride," and that was so huge for me to see. And I don't think that was that was her neither confirming or denying queerness, but I know that she she said happy pride and I was like, this is amazing. It meant so much to me. A hundred
1: percent. And and regardless of whether or not she was announcing anything to do with her sexuality, I know that you've spoken about this before, about wanting more cis. Black celebrities, in particular the men, you know, the Jay Zs of this world, et cetera, mm. like to to speak out for trans lives and for queer lives because it's one thing having members of the LGBTQ plus community continuously saying we deserve our equal rights, but it would be such an, an immense shift in our culture to have cis allies actually be allies and actually show up so that they can see that, the young black members of the LGBTQ plus community Mm. are important and deserve to be protected.
2: Yeah. And I I, I saw, I watch way too much TikTok. Let me just start start by saying that I'm on TikTok (laughs) way too much. And um, because I'm always on TikTok, like I see a lot of discourse surrounding these things Uh and it, that's why I'm definitely interested in engaging cis, especially straight um, people. And I, and interested in happening with black people because that's my community standing up and saying that black trans lives matter. So yeah, I'm definitely and, and I want to give a shout out to Dwayne Wade for standing up for his daughter. Um, but also, I want to tell people like you know, a black trans woman shouldn't have to be your daughter for you for her for you to start speaking up.
1: Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. And I feel as though that's the the discourse that has now emerged in the last year. I love all of your work in this area, in particular, raising awareness around Black Trans Lives. It's something that I want to come back to in particular at the end of this podcast so we can we can figure out how, how my community can continue to support your work.
2: Well, I um, want to raise awareness about two things real oh, quick before, sure. you, before we get too far. I want to raise awareness about a problem I have. And I am, I'm going to, I'm going to call it out. Do it. I don't know who is taking the photos of the judges on (laughs) Legendary. I don't know who that person is. But I feel like it is a deep state undercover conservative trying to ruin the queer agenda because... Those pictures are homophobic, they are transphobic, they are black-phobic, they are brown-phobic. I don't know if it's on a cell phone, I don't know if it's on a Blackberry, or if it's taken on a fucking potato. But, and they they get posted, and I'm like, these pictures, who who is doing this? I want to get to the bottom of this, let me plug my computer in. I'm
1: glad someone said it. You should have seen the ones from season one. (laughs) <laughs> like they felt like the... <laughs> the season one photos felt like violence they felt like an attack I was like what did what we do
2: to you and the last thing I want to correct one of my wrongs because I I did not know this I, I I misspoke about you several times on my podcast and I did not realize that I someone corrected me I thought that you were wearing a wig the whole time
1: oh Well, that's fine. That's fine. I was
2: like, I was like, Jamila always wears this wig.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was like, why was she? Everyone thinks this is a wig. Everyone, I don't know what to do about it. It just, my hair just looks, it just looks like, a, it just looks like a wig. It's always like a wig. I accept it. It doesn't matter what style I wear it in. It's just always going to look like a fucking wig. And, and I love it. And I hope people think it is at least an expensive
2: wig. No, it looks very expensive. <laughs> I think it's because of how thick and rich and healthy your hair is. I mean, obviously I have no, I'm bald. But grow.
1: that can't be the only reason you thought it was. Awake, there's something wrong with my hair.
2: No, it's not wrong. I think it's because I think it's because there's how much hair there. I mean, maybe there is something added in. I don't even know. I don't know if there, but no, I
1: don't have anything added in. I just have, I'm just
2: Indian. You just have so much. There's just so much hair. As someone who cannot grow hair, I'm baffled. (laughs) (laughs) At the amount of hair you are capable of growing out of the top of your head. This is wild. Wait till you see my chest. (laughs) 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 So I kept being like, Jim Miller need to take this wig off. And then and then I just saw you rub your hands, your hair, and someone online was like. Oh my God, Jamila, full and I, I saw a picture of you w- without your bangs, and I didn't even recognize you. I was like, I didn't even recognize her.
1: I know. Well, that picture got circulated. I I just posted a picture of me with my my hair fully fully back off my head because I had like wig glue on my head because I was wearing mm. a wig for a different show that I'm doing, mm-hmm. um, and. That photograph got so heavily circulated that it blew my mind. Like I didn't think it was a big deal. People have been asking me what's under my bangs for years, and I've obviously <laughs> been telling them it's a clitoris. Um and, <laughs> uh, and I've been trying to spread that rumour for about twelve years. Uh, it's a it's a big old clip. Um but uh but then I you know, I, I, I came out again. <laughs> it was my second coming out or re- someone with a forehead. forehead. And everyone forwarded it to like Monet Exchange, like like all these <laughs> like different different like famous drag queens or like like ballroom icons who had apparently been complaining about my bangs for two seasons of legendary
2: so, uh, so I was blown I'm, away I got tagged in it too. everyone kept being like oh my god look at Jimmy forehead and I was like oh my god I didn't, why, I didn't does even can- recognize you I don't it's because you know what it is it's like when Billie <laughs> Eilish uh, did that new look yeah. because she had that one look for so long Mm-hmm When she did something different, everyone was like, "What?" it's kind of like when Ariana Grande put down the ponytail for the Rain On Me video. Mm -hmm. Because we had seen her in this ponytail for everything she'd ever done. She was in this ponytail. It was an era, an
1: era of migraine.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden in Rain On Me, her and Lady Gaga switched spots and Gaga had the ponytail and Ariana Grande's hair was down. And everyone was like, my brain can't even... (laughs) compute. I mean, you look really good with this haircut, by the way. I mean, bangs really work for you. That's very kind.
1: Um, Where where I'm at with my hair, and we're not here to talk about this at all, but I'll just (laughs) leave it on this, which is that it's kind of like a stance that I've taken in just having this haircut that takes me no time at all to do anything. Like, I just don't have to fuss. I don't have to do anything. I get out of the shower and I go. It's like my kind of way of saying that I think it is fucking bullshit that women in particular are expected to change up our looks constantly. Mm, it's that's like, fair. for who? For who? Why? If it works, don't fix it. No one's stressing out George fucking Clooney about his fucking <laughs> hair that hasn't changed in 40 fucking years. Ted or dances. Carrot Top. Yeah, or like to, or, yeah exactly. Exactly, And like Ted Danson's had the same haircut. So I'm just like, fuck off, man. I'm going to Anna winter to this shit. Like this haircut to the end, to the death. So wig or no wig, everyone's going to get used to it. But that's my, like, that's say, my kind honestly, of, that's my way it looks of handling it. <laughs> it.
2: It looks really good on you. I think that you look phenomenal and, and <laughs> you, you <laughs> blew me away. That, that, that forehead pick really broke the internet. <laughs> <laughs> that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard you should have you should have you, know, you should have put it behind a pay. oh my god you would have made okay this is your next charity move you're Only Fans only, only Fans but it's just <laughs> your forehead you just like like your Only Fans you're like playing sexy music and then you just like slowly raise your bangs <laughs> while like while like strip teasing but it's that just your that would only work forehead. if
1: I did actually have a clitoris there
2: <laughs> <True>. <laughs> then it would raise True. money
1: it could raise money for charity Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H E L P dot
0: slash iWay. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just thirty dollars.
1: Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about how you got to where you are now. Okay, so we we you know we've covered a little bit of your childhood, and your relationship with your mother, who sounds incredible, by the way, and oh, and and then your decision to move to New York straight after college with $500 in your bank account to pursue a career in entertainment. How did you just get into drag? Like, what was that moment of deciding this is what I'm going to do? Because I mean, you'd had this whole upbringing you know, uh, where, where that was a, a part of your life. Yeah. That was a part of your vocabulary. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, the, that whole, you, you were somewhat immersed in that environment, but you'd felt at the time that that wasn't necessarily for you. You mind. Well, I was afraid
2: afar. of drag queens. I was afraid of drag queens. Why? Because so we had a lot of queer friends and my mom had a friend named Sydney. And Sydney said to me, I remember Sydney came home and was like, don't ever trust drag queens. Like he was he had come home and like had a rough day. He said, Don't ever trust drag queens. And I said, What what's going on? And he said, Drag queens are all dangerous. They all have weapons. And and I got, <laughs> and, I got and I got and I got shot by a drag queen. So he was in a he was in a dispute with a drag queen in a parking lot. No, well, he was he, he was in a parking lot at my mom's club and a drag queen got into an argument with someone else and she pulled a gun out of her purse and she shot And then a stray bullet hit my mom's friend, Sydney. So Sydney told me that drag queens were dangerous, vicious, and gun-wielding. So I was like, well, I don't want to be anywhere near drag queens. They're dangerous. Like, Sydney told me they're dangerous. I think Sydney was just probably scorned from being shot by, by, by a drag queen. Um, um,
1: I love the idea that they're all walking around with weapons. But then also, like, I imagine some drag queens feel like there's a bit of a target on their back. So maybe that's why they've all got guns
2: well, and weapons. To, to be fair, when I first started drag, I did used to walk around with a weapon actually because I was so nervous to leave the house. So I used to, I've always carried a purse. Pur- purse have always been part of my brand. And I used to carry a, like a full knife like in my purse every. And I don't mean like a Swiss blade. I mean like a kitchen knife. Like everywhere I went, I had a full on butcher's knife in my purse everywhere. Fucking hell. Yeah. So So maybe Sydney was right.
1: (laughs) Maybe Sydney was right. Um, Okay. So, so what was the moment though? Like, that's what I want to know. Like that's a, that's a, it's like a, it's a bold career move, especially in New York city where that's such a, like, it's such a big part of the culture there Mm. and, and it's a real tight knit community. What was your decision into that? Did you have friends at the time who were involved in that community? No,
2: none. Did you just put on
1: a wig one day?
2: So what happened was I was watching season one of RuPaul's Drag Race. I, I was mm-hmm. flipping through TiVo. is how long ago it was back when people used TiVo, and I saw that. You know, back in the day on TiVo, you could like scan through and see what's going to happen on a show on a channel. Like in like twelve hours, you can just scroll through. Mm-hmm. And I was scrolling through the Logo channel because I was I was craving queer content, and then I saw that RuPaul had a show. I was like, RuPaul has a show. So I started watching season one of RuPaul's Drag Race and I saw B.B. Zaharbonne, who was the winner of season one. Spoiler alert. Granted, it was 14 years ago, (laughs) but um, spoiler alert or 13 years ago, spoiler alert still. And I saw B.B. Zaharbonne on the show and I was like, oh, my God, it it, it was I finally saw like a real reflection of myself. Someone who had so many of the qualities that I thought were going to be my downfall. I thought that being black and dark skinned and queer and effeminate. Um, were going to be my downfall. But I saw someone on TV being uplifted, not in spite of all that, but because of all that, being told that because you are these things, you are fierce. And I said to myself, I would like to be a part of a a community that uplifts me in that same way. Mm. So then I found drag. And I actually Googled drag show, drag competition, how to start drag in New York city. And there was a competition called star search, which is the longest running drag show. It is still running. It is hosted by Keisha Carr. Um, And it said Shaquita hosts star search. So I went down to star search to meet Shaquita in full drag and compete. And when I got there, she, uh, I said, hi Shaquita, but Shaquita had recently quit And a queen named Peppermint had started. Mm -hmm. But so I walked up to Peppermint and I called her Shaquita (laughs) and she was like, I am not Shaquita. (laughs) That is absolutely not who I am. But her and I are now like absolute, like great friends. Like she's one of my best friends in the world now. But but that was how I started. I started doing the competition scene in New York City. And, going, specifically and going it, to Peppermint shows.
1: What was it like, you know, especially seeing as you've gone into it with fear of drag queens, Like, was it, is it a supportive, like, because I find the ballroom community, obviously there's a lot of shade in the ballroom community, but there's also so much love and like mutual respect and everyone hugs each other after they battle, etc. What is the, I don't know very much about The drag drag scene scene is very
2: similar. The New York City drag scene is very similar. It was very competitive, but you become great friends with the people you're competing with every single week, especially if you're a baby queen who's doing the... Um, drag competition circuit. You know, I, 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 these, these girls you're competing against, you start, you, you see them every week at all the gigs, every Mm -hmm. single time. You keep, you keep running into them over and over again. Um, and then you go to the diner after the show and then you make each other costumes and and you say, well, I, I have great hair and you have great makeup. Maybe you can teach me about, makeup okay i have good hair you have good costumes i can help you with hair if you help me with my costumes mm-hmm. and then you start learning from each other and then you all become better because of it
1: and also like the drag the drag scene especially in new york was a big part of the genesis of the ballroom community at large so i'm glad like, yeah. it's nice to hear that that kind of all kind of coexists nicely
2: a drag queen started the houses like there's mm-hmm. a drag queen named crystal labesia from mm-hmm. who lived in new york and it was because of crystal labesia feeling disenfranchised in white spaces. And she was like, well, I'm going to start my own house. Like we are going to get together and help each other. So and I don't know, if some of your listeners may know because they, they, you probably have a lot of ballroom fans listening to your podcast, but like the um, leBages are like the oldest and one of the most respected houses in ballroom. Mm-hmm. And they started the idea of houses in general.
1: And if uh, anyone is new to the ballroom world, uh, there's an incredible and iconic documentary called Paris is Burning, which I would strongly suggest to you. Have a little look at because you can learn, yeah. learn something from that.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Um, okay. So, uh, so did you feel as though, you know, having grown up in such a supportive household and then moving to New York by yourself, it's pretty fucking intimidating. Did you find like a home away from home in the drag scene?
2: Oh, for sure. 100%. You know, me and my friends, Frosty Flakes and Peppermint and Tina Burner and Pixie Aventura, Keisha Carr, um, Brenda Darling, um, Jacqueline Darling. Uh, I mean, some of these names probably mean nothing to, to some people, but like, to me, these were like the queens who really helped me cultivate a sense of community, helped me understand about what it means to put on a show and what it means to uplift people. I it, it, it gave me a, a page turner, uh, gave me a foyer into uh, what it means to build community through charity work and through outreach and through activism as mm-hmm. Rhea, Thorgy Thor, Mocha Light, Misty Meener, uh, Charmaine Ultra, like so many amazing queens that I, you know, literally took the train with, ran the streets with, ate at diners until six in the morning with, in full drag.
1: I want to see the movie of your life. That sounds so amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It's incredible. How has winning on RuPaul's Drag Race changed your life?
2: Well, it has launched me onto the international scene as a performer, as an, as a drag queen, as an actor, as a writer, as a comedian, um, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race is a behemoth of a show. It is the Game of Thrones of reality, <laughs> TV, of reality TV. It is the most, de- there has never been a reality TV show that's won more Emmys and awards than RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, It is massive. It has the largest television-based subreddit on Reddit, more than Game of Thrones. The fan base, like, there are very few shows where the contestants from a show leave as So many of them leave as prolific as they do in RuPaul's Drag Race still to this day.
1: Yeah. And so, what was the environment like on that show?
2: It's really tense. You know, it is exhausting. It is, you're so paranoid. You think everyone is out to get you, you think everyone has like a secret agenda and
1: a weapon, and and a a weapon, (laughs) tons of weapons.
2: Um, and you, it really can freak you out because you're like, how is, like, you, first of all, you, you, the days are like long, like 12 hour filming days. Yeah. Um, you wake up in the morning, you go straight to set, you come back and you're, you you do not have enough energy to hang out. You just fall over and pass out and you wake up in the morning and you're, and you're getting mic'd up again. You know, you, you can't you can't talk to people when the cameras are down. The only people you can talk to when the cameras are down are PAs and producers. You can't talk to the queens. You're, you're in isolation. We don't hang out when we're in the hotels. Everyone is in it, their hotel room by themselves, and they even put tape on the door so they'll know if you left the room.
1: Oh my god, that's fucking yeah. intense. I yeah. I uh, have waited till late in this uh, episode to ask you, but you know, how has your um, how's your mental health been your whole life, Bob?
2: You know, I am one of those people from a black family that does not um, consider mental health until it is severe. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, uh, there are a few people in my family who have been institutionalized, but you have to be like, that's how bad it has to be before people in my family are like, let's get a little help. I used to Um, be the
1: same. Yeah, I get it.
2: And I I probably should go to therapy. I always say I should go to therapy. I never have.
1: You've never been to therapy?
2: Not even one time. I've been to the gay bar called therapy in Hell's Kitchen, but I've <laughs> oh, that's never the been same. to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I've never sat across from a therapist and had them, you know, listen to me or I've, I've never been uh, um, any of that. And I, and I really should. I really should. I remember one time when I was younger, I was diagnosed with ADHD and my mom really did not want the diagnosis on me because at the time they were really over medicating kids. Um with like passing out Ritalin to anyone who'll take it, um, like if your kid just talks a little too much, they will, um, say, well, they have ADHD. Give them, give them the drugs. And my mom was really nervous about that, so my mom wouldn't let me get diagnosed, and and we just left the doctor's office, and I never took the medicine. I probably should have been medicated.
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you think? Do you think it's because I wonder this about myself? You know, like I had tried to uh commit suicide before I realized that oh I think maybe I maybe I'm not as together as I thought I was but that's what it Mm. took um Mm. before I started to even register there was anything wrong I considered myself like a very strong survivor surrounded by mentally ill people and I always wonder if it's because I genuinely thought I was okay or if part of me was afraid of what would unravel you know if someone pulls the string like
2: yeah
1: how what is going to happen to me am I just going to fall apart do you think any of it is fear
2: Oh, 100% for a bit. I am terribly afraid of going and finding out that I'm fucked up because in my head, I'm like, I'm great. I have, I'm handling this so well. (laughs) I'm cooking on all four cylinders. I am like really... i'm playing with a full deck of cards i have no impediments there's nothing wrong um but then i I have almost i'm like why is this a problem why is focusing a problem why is sadness a problem why am i sad for weeks or months at a time Mm. um why do i feel this way about myself so yeah i have a lot of fear around going to a professional and having them be like oh actually you have this list of um things going on
1: do you know what's made you sad for these long portions of time,
2: I think it's different things at different times. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think that maybe sometimes there'll be like one thing will be a little catalyst, and I'll think that's the thing that's making me sad. But then I realize that there are other times in my life where I've had something very similar, but it doesn't seem to have the same the same reaction, and definitely not for the same amount of time. I know that I really struggled a lot with my body image growing up. I I I uh, I grew up feeling like the ugly sibling. I have a brother, and I remember like feeling. Like, and when I was a kid, we're the same age, you and mm-hmm. I. Um, I don't know how big it was in the UK, but in America, self-esteem was like, it was the it was the buzziest buzzword that they were feeding kids, like self-esteem, self-esteem, self-esteem. You would hear it, that and stop, drop, and roll. You would hear nonstop. So I always knew what to <laughs> oh do if God. I caught fire. I always knew, to this day, if I ever catch fire, it's been drilled into my head to stop, drop, and roll. Um, but... You know, I remember them telling me this, but I remember feeling like I hear what you all are saying, but it just doesn't feel true for me. I don't have that thing. Whenever you all talk about the self esteem stuff, she's not with me. Mm-hmm. I do not. <laughs> I, I do not, not know her. <laughs> yeah. I don't know her. We're not friends. She's not my fucking buddy. But I do acknowledge and understand that um, there was probably some work to be done that I just didn't engage in.
1: What what was it about your body like your, was it your body image was it your image like what was it about you that you felt well, uncomfortable with
2: I was I was uh, like you know being uh one being really dark skin and uh colorism in the in the black community is really intense um and when I was younger it was it was really hip to talk about light skin versus dark skin and I have very dark skin I also don't have eyebrows. Um, I also was a very large kid. I was 95 pounds in kindergarten. The average kindergartner is 45 pounds. Mm-hmm. I was a huge kid, you know, in seventh, and then I shot right up in, in, in seventh grade, I was six, two, and I was 125 pounds. Just for reference, that is me right now, but 100 pounds lighter. So I looked. And I just looked wild for me. I, I, I was like, I, I was, like, I was so skinny and I had my, this Afro and, you know, it was all this stuff that I thought was like bad. And I think it was, it was constantly seeing people like me being put down in the media, if not me personally, seeing people who looked like me um, being called ugly was really rough, mm. you know?
1: Oh, I think I completely understand, and I always hate hearing that that worked because that's what they want to happen. They want everyone to feel yeah. broken so that they'll go out and buy something that will fix it. That's really you know, I, unfortunate. I've
2: I've always had a real affinity to Whoopi Goldberg. I I'm obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. She's everything to me. Whoopi Goldberg is my is my favorite. Everything. She's she's so brilliant, and she really thrived in Hollywood despite all the odds despite um not looking the way that they say she should look Mm -hmm. um despite not having a name like they they think she should have i mean her name her real name isn't whoopi goldberg but she goes by whoopi goldberg and you know when she i just love that when she accepted that oscar it has whoopi goldberg written on it Mm -hmm. and we have all now accepted that that is a household name that whoopi is a name we're all like yeah of course whoopi i'm sure back in the day that people like whoopi who does whoopi and she was like i do my name was whoopi goldberg um I, I I just, I love her so much. She's, she just means the world to me.
1: And so do you feel as though she was an encouraging force in media that helped you feel better about your image? Or well, about she, she, you? She, she, or she inspired well, she you to feel like there was place for you in entertainment? You know, the whole kind of, if you can see it, you can be it?
2: Yeah, well, she was. And also a big part of that was, a bit. she was also a part of why I felt, uh, because people would take things out on her, you know, there was a big thing in Hollywood. People would call Whoopi Goldberg ugly, and I remember thinking to myself, "But I look like Whoopi Goldberg, but I, right. but I look like Whoopi Goldberg." I mean, you know, there's the famous line from *Color Purple*: "You show is ugly," which spurred a lot of people, often like calling Whoopi Goldberg ugly over and over and over again. And all I could think to myself was, "But she looks like me, so what are they? What are they saying about me?" Ugh. You know what I mean? Yeah. But seeing her thrive despite all of that. And I think she's absolutely stunning.
1: I love her face more than I love anyone else's face.
2: Yeah, she's beautiful. She's so gorgeous. So gorgeous. I love her.
0: Yeah, we love her. Oh my God, I love her. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry,
1: I want to talk to you about polyamory because I think you have such a fascinating insight on it and I would love to talk to you more about it. And you are currently in a, a polyamorous situation, not a polyamorous relationship because of the fact that I know that you're not, you wouldn't describe these two different relationships you have as you all being a throuple. You are in two separate relationships currently with two individuals and you have an apartment with each of them.
2: Yes, so I, I, I do have a polyamorous dynamic in my life, yes. two of them in my life. And so me and Jacob, we both actually me and Jacob and me and Ezra, we all live in Hollywood. Yeah, we live we live about four minutes from each other, mm-hmm. Um, and which is great. If I whenever I leave one thing at the other house, actually, last night I was with Ezra and then Jacob had accidentally ordered food to me and Ezra's place because he was there before. So the Uber delivered the food to me and Ezra's place and then I got in a car and drove it to Jacob because he accidentally ordered the food to, to the wrong place. This
1: is this is fucking amazing <laughs> to me because I've I've always been uh, super monogamous. So I find this dynamic just really beautiful but also mind-blowing because of yeah, this because is common, of the that, mind of of you know jealousy insecurity sharing you know and and also I love the fact that you are the common denominator in this relationship that they mm. but like they both get kind of shared custody of you
2: cuz yeah, they're not in know, a relationship
1: join- with each other are they they're, just no, they're not in relationship with each other. Right.
2: they're friends they are friends they do have a relationship like a friendship but they're not they're not romantic with each other and I Um, so I've known me and Jacob met and started dating about three years ago. And Ezra and I have been together for almost two years. And, um, it has, when I met Jacob, I said, I am polyamorous. And even though I, even though Jacob, by the way, I didn't tell you this, this, these are my first two boyfriends. Mm -hmm. So I've never broken up with anyone. (laughs) I (laughs) I have no. I have no exes. I have zero exes. Really? Which is wild. Not even... There's no one... Except... Okay, I did have a girlfriend in high school... ...named Keisha. So Keisha is an ex of mine. Um, Keisha and I were dating one... But I was... I mean, I was in high school. As an adult, though, these are my first two relationships.
1: Why is that? Do you know?
2: I think that I was... uh, I think I probably got a lot of this from my mom. My mom was always very career-driven and work-focused. And I think that I have inherited that as well. Right. And I really put my career first and I take my career very seriously. Um, and that is a lot for some people. That is too much for some people. 100%. You know
1: I mean? 100%. I understand yeah. that. And also you were living in New York for quite a long time and that's twelve a nightmare New York place yeah. to find a relationship sometimes because it's like yeah, a sport. Yeah, a lot
2: of people have a, yeah, people have a really hard time finding, finding I mean, I, I definitely couldn't find it. And, and also, you know, I'm a slut and like I need my partners to know that. And like, I'm not like, this will never be just yours. Like, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. I'm I'm like leasing it out to you from time to time. (laughs) But like, this is my vessel. This is mine. And I, I shall do with what I please. And same with my partners.
1: That's amazing. And so, so, okay. So if you broach that conversation with someone Cause I think there are a lot of people, I get a lot of messages from people asking me about polyamory because we have uh, like sex and relationship therapists on this podcast sometimes. And some of the questions Mm -hmm. that come up very often are about polyamory, about people who are asking like, how do I, how do I even bring up that I want to be in a polyamorous situation? Like, how do you stop people from getting jealous? How do you set those boundaries? And so I imagine you have quite a lot of insight, But I know you have quite a lot of insight into this.
2: So people are like, how do you, how do you, how do you, how are you not jealous? I'm like, who said I'm not jealous? <laughs> who, who's, who said that? Like, we're not above, we're not superhuman. We're not above feelings that everyone has. I get jealous of things. I get jealous for my friends. If one of my friends who's a drag queen books a gig that I wanted, I'm jealous of them. I process that. And I think of my, to myself, why am I jealous of this? And I, and I find, and I also Keep in mind that I'm also really happy for that person. And that allows me to step outside of jealousy and live in gratitude that my friend is getting work and getting booked and that vi- that visibility is important for all of us. And if a drag queen is doing, you know, this commercial or this gig, then that means there's more opportunities down the road for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. It's not it's, it's not a cake with finite slices. You know what I mean? It's a bakery with infinite ingredients. Is what it is. The cakes just keep coming. Um And. I, we, what we do is, and I, I don't want to sound cheesy. This is so true though. It's really just open and honest communication. You just, we're just really open with each other when we're feeling hurt or sad or, or in, or in need in that moment. We just say it. We say it as soon as we can. And that has really helped us out a lot.
1: And so, did these two different people that you're with together, did they know each other before being in relationships with you?
2: No, no, no. I introduced them.
1: And what was that like?
2: So, I mean, there there was definitely some bumpy moments where um, we had, because I, I was putting a lot of pressure on them to communicate. And they're two people who... Whose paths would have probably never crossed if it wasn't for me. And I was specifically asking that their paths crossed. And why did you want them life.
1: to? Why, why did you want them to?
2: Because I wasn't interested in building two separate lives. I mean, I live in two separate places, but I have one life. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I, I, and I don't want to have like this life that I live in LA and this life that I live in New York, although we all live in LA now. Um, I was interested in building, I, I wasn't interested, like, you know, let's say, let's say we're here gets nominated for the Emmy again. I don't want to have to pick who I'm bringing. So you're Let's bringing say I them go, both. Yeah, I'm bringing them both. They're both gone. Or, wh- or whoever's available, you know, that they, they also have careers. And, you mm-hmm. know, Ezra's a musician and Jacob's a photographer. So they also have careers of their own. And, you know, if I go home for Christmas, I don't have to pick who comes home for Christmas and who comes home for Thanksgiving. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. That's fascinating to me because the other people I know who are in polyamorous relationships, I think the agreement in order to, I guess, evade that human jealousy is just to try to never discuss the other person that they're with so that you don't have a visual of your in your mind of like who they're having sex with or being intimate with. Uh, mm-hmm. you don't know anything about that. It's like that is a separate thing. I close when you walk out of my house i I close the door and, and I think that works for some people. I think it's good to know your boundaries. You don't have to. Anyone who's listening to this is thinking of entering into a polyamorous relationship. You don't have to have everyone meet. It's just incredibly lucky that you found that these two have great chemistry and they've even become friends of their own accord. That's incredible.
2: And it's really not about, it's not really about the sex because... Me and, um, because a lot of people, there's a lot more people who are open than there are who are polyamorous and you know, people who are open a lot of times that they can be open, but like being polyamorous, meaning having two relationships is where it gets, wow, which lets me realize that it's more than just the sex. It's not just the fact that your partner is having sex with someone else. It is the it is for a lot of people, the notion that your partner is building a life.
1: That's what I meant by intimacy. I didn't mean sexual intimacy. Yeah. I meant like that kind of, you know, the friendship, the the secrets yeah. you tell each other, all of that. Like that, that almost to me, I feel as though I would find it easier to have an open sexual relationship than an open emotional relationship. That's the part of me that I'm just like, A, I think I wouldn't know if I'd be able to share that part of someone with someone else. Um, but also I feel like I couldn't be fucking bothered to do it myself to invest emotionally in someone mm. else. I think it's because it's a, it's a big, it's a big sacrifice entering into just one relationship. And then, so doing that twice over, that's a, it's really remarkable that you have the time and energy to do both as well as have such a successful career.
2: Well, I also think about it too. I think about it like, cause you know, my, my partner was, he, he's my partner Ezra has had a other partners while we've been dating Um, and and when he does that, I also think about it too, like that, whatever this part, this relationship they have with the other person is one, does not negate ours. It does not mean that he does not love me. But also I wouldn't be jealous if he had, if he told us, if he was having a rough day and he said, I want to spend it with my friend and it's nothing against me. I'll say, well, maybe I understand you You and your friend have a certain bond and you want to spend that, you want to spend a day with your friend. It's not about, it doesn't mean you don't want to be with me. It just means you want to be with this one friend. And I look at it like that. I look at it the way that, I also look at my friendships very similarly to the way that I look at relationships mm-hmm. sometimes. You know what i mean
1: i do know what you mean and so do you meet all of their partners
2: yeah i met i've met um well, yeah the, the short answer is yes i've, I've met jacob has never had another, had, has had another partner but i've met ezra's other partners before
1: got it and and again yeah. and so that's that's where you can have feelings of jealousy but generally you're able to override them because you love ezra and want ezra to be happy
2: When I have feelings of jealousy, like, for example, you know, I'm I'm very busy and I'm not able to do a lot of stuff. So I'm not able to go to to Mexico with him to visit his family because I have to shoot. We're here for like weeks at a time or I can't, um, you know, go shopping in the middle of the day with Ezra because I have to do, you know, interviews and uh, and, you know, design stuff and blah, blah, blah. Um, but you know, maybe his, whoever he's dating has more free time. And I'm like, man, they friend, they spend so much time together. I'm just so jealous of that person's ability to spend the time with Ezra. But I'm also happy that Ezra has someone that he can spend that time with.
1: Yeah. That is a nice part of it, of not having the relationship guilt of I'm like, well, I'm someone's everything. So therefore I can't just go off and dedicate, I can't just go throw myself into my career because there's another person depending yeah. on me. There's someone else exactly. to kind of fill that gap. It makes it I cannot sex. be
2: someone's everything. I can't be someone's everything. To quote Whoopi Goldberg, "If someone says you complete me, run." There's a quote from Whoopi Goldberg's mm-hmm. book. Like I can't, I can't complete someone. No, 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 no. We are, we. I'm not, I'm not a side dish. Neither are you. We are both the main entree. You know, steak and lobster. Yeah, you know I hundred,
1: mean? I hundred percent agree. I talk about this all the time. I don't believe in two halves making a whole. I really believe in two holes, and I always have to. Clarify that I don't specifically mean H O L E S. I just mean two holes. Um, but I don't but not I don't, believe yeah, in I'm that. not against it. Um, but, <laughs> um, but two holes coming together, I think, and making space for this each other getting in their lives. Very hot, Jamila. It's getting incredibly sexual. Two holes I know. Coming. I know. Coming <laughs> <laughs> together. <laughs> on each other's tits. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: <so>. <laughs> on, on Jamila's forehead clip. <laughs>
1: Well, that's the clit. <laughs> I was going to say clit, and then I said clit. Shit. Okay, so, sorry. So, okay, I'm not going to continue to grill you about uh, about, um, we can about, talk about polyamory, polyamory I, but I'm just like... I I'm, love
2: talking about polyamory. I just think it's so I,
1: interesting. It's like it's so rare that you get someone to come on and talk about it. So many people who even are in polyamorous relationships feel so unsafe to talk about it because the way that we, as a society, it's the same way that people are even just with like bi culture or pansexual people. Like there's yeah. is kind of like it's allowed for people to just openly mock bi and pansexual people. And I think there's a lot yeah. of, a lot of judgment around polyamory. You know, you're treated as though you're greedy. You're treated as though you're selfish or, you know, you're incapable of committing to something as if by the way, any of those things are particularly bad. Nothing wrong with a little bit of greed, a little bit of yeah, selfish, sure. a little bit of sin, you know, the seven deadly sins, nothing wrong with uh, all the lust and the, the, especially the hunger one. Um, but I, right. uh, and and so it's so rare to get someone to actually come on and, and just talk about it in such a, a shame We can keep talking way.
2: forever because I really loved bringing more awareness to polyamory and, and letting people know that it is valid. It is a little interesting. Um, and it takes a... You have to do... Me, you have to do, I have to do a lot of self-work to be able to have a relationship like this because I can't find my worth in anyone else. It cannot come from... Any person, it can't. your partner cannot bring you your worth so, because then what happens if you lose them? What happens if they die? What yeah. happens if you break up? Then what's your worth? I, I also feel that way with, with celebrities and, the, and their fame. People say I would be nothing without my fans. So are you saying people who don't have fans are nothing? Mm. Your worth is not based on how many or how much people like you.
1: I couldn't agree. I truly couldn't agree more. So what does that, because you don't do therapy. So what does your self-work look like in order to get to a place of such stability that you don't look outside of yourself for validation or love?
2: Well, it's definitely talking to my friends. It is uh, openly communicating with the people in my life. It is clearing my brain. It is finding time for me. It is asking for what I need and not feeling bad about it. Mm -hmm. You know, when I learned to stop being a people-pleaser in my life, got flipped turned upside down i felt like will smith um because there's something about people pleasing that really tells you to put yourself last mm-hmm. like dead last and you know i would tell folks it is okay to consider other people but you need to put yourself first you have to be your first priority was
1: there a moment of that was there a moment for a okay, cat it i've i've liked i'm tapping out of this people pleasing life
2: yeah, for sure. So I I remember when it started and I remember when it ended. So I used to work at Applebee's, don't judge me. I used to be work at Applebee's Love as Applebee's. an expo. Yeah. As an as an expo, which who is the person between the kitchen and the um and the 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 restaurant. So you're the you're the conduit between the front of house and the back of house. You're you're the, the you're the threshold. And you have to be really stern because people will try to grab the wrong food. You have to make sure the food's coming at the right time, you have to check the quality of the food. Every bit of food that goes out to the restaurant goes through the expo. And I remember being really stirring with this one girl and she was like, she just stopped dead in her tracks and looked at me and was like, you are such a fucking asshole. And that really wrecked me because I really thought myself, I was such a nice person. So I spent the next like four years of my life doing the most extreme people pleasing, fake smiling in pictures. And I've always said anyone, oh, never mind I've always said anyone who sticks their tongue out and when they smile in pictures, don't trust them. <laughs> Something about someone who goes, <laughs> don't trust that bitch. Don't trust that bitch. Don't trust her. No. Why? Cause it's fake. There no one Jamila, no one smiles like that.
1: No, I agree. I mean, I don't smile like that.
2: <laughs> it's fake. And I used to be her. That was me for a very long time. Pictures. Um, but then as I I think it was something about being on the drag scene and getting in that little thick skin. Um and being able to command a room from on stage and then carrying that power with me off stage um, i started to realize that people started to like me a lot more when i was myself the fake me was not getting me any wasn't getting me anything once i started being myself all of us all of a sudden out of nowhere people started liking me way more it was crazy
1: and so how liberating have you found that in your life
2: oh so I love saying no to things. Mm-hmm. I say no to things I want to do because I like <laughs> saying no so Why? <laughs> much. I, because I feel powerful when I'm like, no, no, absolutely not. And I, my favorite phrase is under no circumstances.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love
2: saying under no circumstances. Um, And, and I think I've just kind of gotten into it because like, I, I'm allowed to take back my power. I'm allowed to say no to things I don't want to do, even if someone else doesn't like it. I'm like, but I don't want to do it. Like, I'm not going to put myself at a disadvantage just so that you can be happy.
1: I love, I lo- and it shouldn't be revolutionary, but you have a revolutionary uh, uh, approach to self-preservation.
2: Yeah, well, I, I hate this notion that people are, that people's niceness and kindness is based on how much they're willing to hurt or harm themselves for you. Like I've seen someone be like, I went to a show and um, what's her name? Stood in line and hugged every single person until, and her feet were hurting. She was like shaking into her knees. She could barely stand, but she stood there and she hugged every. You know what makes a lot of sense? Being like, it's a wrap. My legs hurt. I'm gonna leave. Especially if, if unless, if it's not like a contractual thing. People are like and she didn't make anyone pay her. She did it for free. Yeah. Her hands were bleeding. <laughs> She was in a horrible mood. She it died was there
1: raining. that night. Yeah, she <laughs> what died <a> there.
2: <laughs> and I'm like, what? What a, what a dumb bitch is what she is. Like, why the fuck would you do that? I believe in honoring your word. I believe you sell a meet and greet, meet every single person. I believe you should make yourself and that, the other people as comfortable as possible. You need to be the priority make sure you're comfortable first because you can't make sure anyone else is comfortable unless you are.
1: It's the analogy that people often use with this is that when, you know, when they're explaining to you what you should do in a in a plane crash, you should put your own mask and your own vest on first before helping someone else. Because that way you're going to be more helpful when you're alive. When you're still alive, you'll be more helpful to other people.
2: in a plane crash, none of you are going to survive. But but it is important to put your mask on. That's not true,
1: actually. Because if you put the mask on and the vest, then you will be absolutely fine. Is there anything that you in particular want people to know about polyamory that you think is misunderstood?
2: Well, I I think a lot of people just think that me and my partners are all together. that, that That me, Jacob and Ezra... Like, live in one big house, and that we're like all fucking all day, and that we are, and that they are like sister wives. Um, but the truth is, I just happen to have two simultaneous, me specific, this is just me specifically. I happen to have two simultaneous relationships, like at the same time. And it's really not any more complicated than that.
1: Um, okay. Thank you so much for giving me so much of your time. Before you go, my I wanted pleasure. to just return to your work in advocacy for, in particular, Black Trans Lives Matter, and I wanted to ask you how myself and my community can support your work
2: and support well, that work. You know, it's so interesting when you say you and your community because of your, your intersectionality and your access and your fame and your celebrity, you have access to a lot of communities mm-hmm. um, between being you know, a prominent uh, woman of color between being a huge celebrity, uh, a producer. Spokesperson um, for all Fringes. Sp- <laughs> <laughs> Fringe spokesperson. Soon to
1: be icon. Yeah. <laughs> um, I-, I-,
2: I think that, you know, you can always uplift Black trans voices, have them on your podcast, mm-hmm. um, allow them to guide the conversations. Um, also understand that, you know, n- Black trans people no people are monolithic so you can have two different black trans people on your show who have extremely different uh viewpoints and they're both valid Mm -hmm. do i do we don't have to all agree with everything everyone says but they're all valid. Mm -hmm. you know what i mean you have everyone from flame monroe t.s madison um and laomi and they'll all have very different perspectives Mm -hmm. you know what i mean laomi's
1: coming on this podcast Uh, soon actually um work. I'm really excited. And,
2: and, and I also think that what you're doing cuz you're a producer on on um
1: Legendary. Yeah.
2: Legendary. This is huge. Like that's a that, that is uplifting a lot of a lot of black trans voices. That is massive. Like you're already doing the work. And I think that there's probably a lot of people who are like, why is Jamila Jamil? But also people on the internet are always going to be like, why, why, why? And my whole thing is like, well, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is a show now where black trans people can come and tell their stories. That's why. That's why. And its it, I'm, I'm not aloof enough to, to, to insinuate that. I don't realize that sometimes it takes a person who is famous to um, open the door. And while they're walking through, they're just going to hold the door open. And now... Come come on, everyone. Mm-hmm. I'm holding the door open. You can all come through now. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, it, 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 it is not. It, I, it, I am not um, thick enough or, or dense enough uh, or daft, as you like to say in the UK to uh, <laughs> insinuate that, that I don't realize why it is important that Jamila Jamil and Megan Thee Stallion are on that panel because you are both massive celebrities and it helps bring people there. And then once they're there, people see these really important, really remarkable stories.
1: I think that's really all we were trying to do is just think, well, how, what's the fastest way that we can be helpful? And that is to bring mm-hmm. our audience to watch this show, to help more people understand how incredible this community is. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I'm I I'd, I'd love you. I'm so happy to have oh, had the chance too. to Thank be able you. to talk to you. So Bob, the drag queen, before I lose you, will you please tell me what do you weigh?
2: I would say I weigh, let's throw in some comedy, activism, absurdism, uh, glamour, makeup, irreverence. That's what I weigh.
1: I love yeah. that. I love all of the things that you weigh, and um, <laughs> and I hope you feel beautiful now, even if you didn't when you were young, because we all find you very beautiful, and we all oh, love well, staring you. at your face. And thank you for answering my creepy little slide into your DM, uh, and coming onto <laughs> this, and coming onto this podcast, and uh, and I can't wait to meet you in the flesh. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Erin Finnegan and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. we would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous
0: listeners. I weigh my friendships and being a good daughter. I weigh my intelligence and I weigh all the good and bad experiences that have gotten me to where I am today and have made me who I am today. I weigh my ability to empathize with other people and my ability to forgive. I weigh my willingness to learn and grow as a person. Thanks, Jamila, for this
1: podcast. You are so amazing. Want to make
0: mom's day?